We have technical hey. difficulties. We are now live. I am on the air. I'm not sure if you guys were on the air, uh, but we had no audio. We had no video, but we are here. We are live. It is 7 Investing Now. Good afternoon. We got a jam-packed show. Absolutely crowded. Joined today by Matt Cochran, Steve Simonton, Max Chatsko. I'm Dan Klein. I cover retail. I cover technology. I cover whatever it is that needs to be covered right now. Matt Cochran, why don't you tell the audience who you are? Uh, Matt Cochran. I'm an advisor with Seven Investing. I'm also a police officer down in South Florida. I have uh, lots of kids uh, and I'm happily married. Matt says he has lots of kids because he doesn't know how many. That is my theory. Steve Symington, you have kids as well. Why don't you introduce yourself? <laughs> I do. Uh, I live up in Montana, and uh, this is all I do. I'm a lead advisor at 7investing, and I've got three beautiful kiddos who are currently weathering phase zero of remote learning. So uh, that's a good time. But um, yeah, so here we are. Max Chasco, you do not have kids as far as I know. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. <laughs> no kids, no wife. I live in Pittsburgh. I have like 20 houseplants. Does that count, Dan? That's some responsibility, you know? My cats felt like kids until I had a kid. Uh, so this is Seven Investing Now. We're going to cover the news of the day, but from a long-term perspective. So we're not day traders. We buy and hold stocks. That's our philosophy here at Seven Investing. We are really excited to have you watching. Our top story today, again, we're going to talk about the elephant in the room. It can't be avoided. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to do our story picks. Each person has a story they picked. Uh, we're going to talk about those. And then we're going to follow up by talking about the upcoming console wars. I know I'm a veteran of more than one console war. And then, of course, we're going to hit our finisher. But the top story today Markets are on fire, despite the uncertainty in the presidential election. We're up like 1,100 points over the past two days. We're lagging a little bit today. We have our theories as to why. I'm going to let Steve Simonton lay out what's happening. Steve, what the heck is going on here? Oh, goodness sakes. Um, so putting any partisan opinions aside, you know, we're not going to get uh, political, so to speak here. It looks like the market's betting on a Biden presidency right now with Democrats retaining control of the House and Republicans retaining control of the Senate. All of that's, of course, but right now that's what it looks like. Uh, Biden is known as more of a moderate Democrat. He ran in part on the platform of being able to reach across the aisle and work with both parties uh, and get things done. But more than anything, the market likes having some semblance of certainty at this point. And remember, Wall Street hates uncertainty. And as the picture becomes more clear, investors are more willing to step back into equities. And that's part of why we saw stocks rally in recent days. Yeah, it's absolutely just removing that sort of uncertainty. And it's one of those things where markets want nothing to happen. Like if, if everything freezes, that's pretty good. That's a better set of rules for investing. Uh, Matt, is it fair to say that the market might actually like the fact that Biden is predictable uh, and, and really go wherever you want with that as well? Yeah, sure. I, I think I basically agree with what Steve said. Look, uh, Biden is a known quantity. He's been in Washington, D.C. for a long time. And it's not even like he won in a landslide, which could be interpreted as a referendum for big sweeping changes. And the market's probably going to like that. Uh, you know, if Republicans hold the Senate, I generally agree with the consensus that the market will like that even more. It basically means no big changes for at least the next two years. It means no sweeping regulations to hinder innovative companies or generally the status quo. And I think the market's going to interpret that basically as a good thing. Uh, before COVID hit, 
you know, the economy was largely humming. And I think many people expect us to get back there after the pandemic restrictions lift. I would like to hope so. Uh, Matt, you and I meet for dinner at a place that's not generally crowded, and it's been spectacularly uncrowded. And it's been depressing to just see that whole plaza, which is usually really lively, not having a lot of people there uh, and sort of not doing the business they normally do. We're not going to talk about this for too long, but Matt, the split, Matt, Max, the split control also means you're not going to see major corporate tax hikes. You're probably not going to see tax hikes of any kind. That That's good news for the markets, right? Yeah, I think um, a lot of, um, you know, Wall Street analysts were kind of figuring that if, you know, Democrats swept the presidency and the Senate, then maybe there'd be some corporate tax increases. Um, that looks less likely now that um, the Senate has retained control. Uh, I'm sorry, Republicans have retained control of the Senate. Um, but, you know, it's important to note that Biden was only trying to increase corporate tax rates um back like not even as high as they were in 2016 so it's an increase relative to where they are now but it would still kind of be a, a tax cut relative to to 2016 so perhaps not um out of the question and again there's more senate elections in 2022 um and that map could be more favorable to the democrats so uh right now more certainty same ta- corporate tax rates but um could change in two years So, Matt, you wanted to talk about a bearish scenario for a split government. So we're going to end this on a down note. Matt, your (laughs) thoughts there? Well, sure. Uh, Last night, I I just tweeted out a quote from Jesse Livermore uh, on Patrick O'Shaughnessy's podcast, Invest Like the Best, from last month. Uh, And he said, actually, his most bearish election scenario would be if Biden won the White House and Republicans the Senate. And his reasoning was that it might make it harder for a large stimulus bill to be passed if Republicans rediscover fiscal responsibility or if the two sides can't agree where stimulus money is needed most. And it looks like that might already be happening. Uh, Just before we went live, I tweeted this out. It's been reported that Senator Lindsey Graham was talking about becoming the Senate's budget chairman and wants to begin looking at the national debt. And, you know, look, again, that might ding the stock market in the short term. But look, we don't invest based on what stimulus bill the government might or might pass. And that might affect things in the short term. But if your thesis depends on stimulus spending packages, you might want to reevaluate your time horizons on your investments. Think longer term, invest in great companies at good valuations and not on what companies might benefit the most from government spending bills. Yeah, and the good news, everyone, uh, seven investors, is that this will end. At some point, we'll have a winner. At some point, we'll finish the runoffs in Georgia. And for at least a few months, we won't have to talk about elections. And I think that's something many of us are looking forward to. Remember, no matter what platform you're watching this on, you can share comments with us, and they will show up, in theory, in the Restream chat. That is, that's where we're taping this. Now, we're not 100% sure that's going to work. We've had our Restream problems today, but we are seeing some comments, and we'd love to hear from more of you. Rayal says, these are way better than my company Zoom meetings. Well, I hope so. I don't think anyone's trying to be entertaining at the company Zoom meetings. And he also says, reveal the seventh horseman now. We're actually going to reveal the seventh advisor for seven investing that it's in the name. It's right in the name seven. There's going to be seven of us. And of course we have an amazing behind the stage team like Samantha Bailey, our director of marketing, our producer here for this show on the 1111 show, Simon Erickson, our CEO, one of our advisors is going to come on and tell you who the next person is to round out our team. And what does our team do? Our team makes seven picks every month. How do you get those picks? You give us $17 a month or $170 a year. Steve, 
what do they get besides our picks? And believe me, the picks alone alone are worth it. Oh man! So uh, I, you know, I think that's what everybody's excited about uh, at first is getting those seven recommendations every month. And uh, you know, we're happy that we're outperforming the market so far. We think the best is yet to come. Uh, but we also provide continuous updates on our recommendations. Uh, we also have subscriber-only Zoom calls where we talk about our picks uh, and talk about which stocks are most compelling to us now. You have access to our advisor team. You can ask us questions at any time, and we're happy to talk shop because. Because, well, that's what we do and that's what we love. So uh, I think that's maybe the biggest thing is that you can chat with us directly and uh, and we love it. So if you'd like to join, and we hope you do, you can go to 7investing.com slash subscribe. Now it's time for what we're watching. In this segment, Max, Max, Matt, Max, and Steve, we're going to have to not have Matt and Max on on the same <laughs> shows. That is very tricky to say. <laughs> Matt, Max, and Steve each picked one topic they wanted to talk about. We're going to start with Matt. Matt, you wanted to talk about Square earnings. I'm guessing the numbers were strong. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Square had a great quarter, uh, which it announced yesterday afternoon after hours. Uh, revenue was up 140%. Gross profit was up 59% year over year. And I think three things stood out from the shareholder letter. The first one was that international expansion in the Square seller ecosystem is finally really beginning to drive growth. Uh, seller gross payment volume in markets outside the US is now 11% of Square's uh, total seller gross payment volume. And that's up from just 6% uh, last year. In markets outside the US, seller gross payment volume grew 46%. But in online channels, that number grew over 60%. Uh, and a lot of this is because Square is finally making its full ecosystem of products and services available in foreign markets. And as those become more available, I expect to see more international growth out of Square. Uh, the second thing was Cash App's increased functionality. Yeah, Matt, Matt, let me jump in. Before you talk about that, why don't you explain what Cash App is? Because I don't think that's a product everybody knows. Sure. Well, you, you could almost it's, – it's, uh, it's an app where it began as like a way to send uh, P2P payments or peer-to-peer -peer payments, kind of like PayPal or Venmo even, uh, where you can just send money to your friend. And they've just continued to add more functionality to that app over time. Uh, last year, they they let people buy Bitcoin on it. Uh, they let people now can pay in stores to have the the Square uh, point of sale system up, and, and now they've like allowed people to buy stocks through it. And more than two and a half million customers, Cash App users, bought stocks using Cash App uh, this quarter. So that's like up great. It's gross profit. Cash App's gross profit was up over 212% year over year. So it's really just as they add more functionality, people are finding more ways to use it, which was obviously like the, the point and people are using it every day now. Uh, Matt, yeah. as, we, as we finish up here, let's talk a little bit about their innovation. They keep adding functionality and, and that's a good thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, every quarter, this team produces more innovations into its services and products that it offers its customers. So this quarter, uh, a lot of work was done in Square Payroll uh, with instant payments and on-demand payments. And basically, both of those just allow employers to pay their employees like instantly or even get cash advances up to $200 uh, if they have a cash app account. And so that's that's just further integrated seller and cash app ecosystems, which is really the long game Square is playing. Thank you, Matt. We're going to pivot to Max now, who wants to talk about Biogen Alzheimer's drug candidate. Uh, they're actually talking with the FDA as we speak. I know, people, you don't want to leave this meeting to go watch the FDA meeting, 
Max has got you covered. What's happening right now, Max? Uh, yeah, so right now there's an ADCOM meeting. That's an uh, abbreviation for Advisory Committee Meeting. So Biogen has a drug candidate that it studied in a, like three different studies about a year or two ago in Alzheimer's. And uh, they pitched it as, well, this could maybe slow the progression of Alzheimer's disease. They then actually halted the development because it looked like it wasn't working. Everybody said, oh, okay, another failed Alzheimer's drug. No big deal. Then two months later, they came out and said, wait, we found this one little piece of data that shows maybe at this one dose, if you know it's the right day of the week, it kind of works. And so everyone said, oh, man, wow, this is going to be the next big Alzheimer's drug, meaning the first big Alzheimer's drug, because there aren't any <laughs> treatments. So um, we just got this week um, the advisory committee meeting. So that's not the actual FDA, but the FDA will convene panels of independent experts. So these are like scientists or patient advocacy experts. They come together. They look at all the data. They say what needs to happen for this to be approved. And then they make a recommendation. But then the FDA, the actual regulators, have to come in later and actually approve or deny the drug. So on Wednesday, the briefing notes of the meeting that's taking place right now um, leaked, and everybody kind of cherry-picked it to say that this is going to be favorable, and Biogen's market cap went from $38 billion to $55 billion. So it's an, a huge jump, very unusual for a company of that size, but I think people are probably getting a little carried away. Um, you know, So the ad meeting is going on now, they'll vote. And no matter what the vote is, the FDA can still uh, go in the opposite direction. So I think the most likely outcome, given what we know, is that the FDA is going to say, hey, you guys need to run more trials. And I don't think those trials are going to come out very favorably for Biogen. So right now, the stock is halted from trading, but uh, I wouldn't get uh, too carried away with it just yet. So Max, if this drug only sort of works, but it gets approved, does it matter that it doesn't work that well? Will it still sell a lot? Because people, obviously, if you get an Alzheimer's diagnosis, you're looking for anything that might help. It might do well just for that reason. But uh, we've already seen this year that um, actually the most favorable ad combo in the history of the FDA to get denied happened this year. And it was a vote of nine to one from the ad com committee. And the drug was for pediatric graft versus host disease. Um, and there, it's already approved in other countries. It cl actually had a successful clinical trial and the FDA still came back and said, nope, you have to run an additional trial. We don't like what you see. We don't like what we see here. So I think that's absolutely going to happen here. That, uh, Max, I'm going to take one comment. It's not exactly related, but it's from TJ McKinney. What's your takes on companies offering psychedelics and their future therapeutic uses? Don't comment on the specific companies, but that overall category is one we get asked about quite a bit. Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, so there was actually a study that uh, made the rounds yesterday about uh, uh, the active ingredient from mushrooms and in depression. And it actually looked like it worked about uh, four times better than currently marketed depression treatments. So I think everybody kind of uh, got really excited there. The thing to remember is... Uh, you know, there are multiple clinical trials underway from multiple companies, research institutions, the government's running some. So this isn't necessarily like, I don't know if you can pick one company or another. And if it does develop, which it looks like it might, and it might be very effective, um, it's going to be a very competitive landscape. So uh, I would wait until we have actual clinical results though, from more robust studies.
Yeah, and this is one where with psychedelics, with cannabis, with any of it, don't try to chase it. Like, I understand there's going to, if it works, there'll be huge potential growth. There's also going to be a lot of companies that don't make any money. So be really careful when investing in this space. Steve, we're going to go from psychedelics back to the real world. Uh, (laughs) Zillow, their third quarter report was really good. Shares are up about 14% in response. Give us some of the highlights. Oh, my goodness. Uh, So funny thing is, you look at the headline numbers and they don't, they might not look great at first glance. Uh, revenue is actually down 12% year over year, 657 million. And I'll get to that in a minute, but uh, they crushed estimates. Uh, estimates called for 572 million. This is a beat of 85 million. Uh, adjusted earnings arrived at 37 cents per share. That was more than triple estimates that actually swung from a loss of 12 cents per share a year ago. And they actually turned in a gap profit too uh, when you actually ex- exclude things like stock-based compensation and such. But really the source of their outperformance was growth in both the internet media and technology segment. That's the IMT segment. If you look in their press release and the mortgages business, they took advantage of a lot of refinances with mortgage rates at record lows. Uh, And revenue from the Zillow offers iBuying business is what actually caused that top line decline. It was down 52% year over year. Uh, But remember, they only just recently relaunched Zillow offers after suspending the program during the initial height of the pandemic and related lockdowns. There's a lot of uncertainty stock actually crashed really hard in March temporarily, uh, but it's been on a tear since then. So um, what's really cool, though, is Barton in his shareholder letter, uh, Rich Barton, the uh, CEO now, talked about um, basically two big tailwinds uh, that have kind of emerged as uh, as the years progressed. He said basically... Um, residential real estate and the adoption of technology. Uh, More people are kind of rethinking uh, how they live and how they work. And uh, he calls it the great reshuffling across the U.S. And uh, basically, you know, combined with people turning to new technology, being stuck at home, uh, oftentimes working from home, he they think that these are, are going to be sustained tailwinds and uh, their guidance reflected as much. So uh, when you look at uh, Guidance for revenue of 709 million to 748 million in Q4. That's actually down 23% year over year, but again, crushed estimates. Uh, they're rebounding a lot faster than anybody expected. Yeah. And, St- uh, Steve, let me jump in here. So, the real estate market is in general on fire. As some of you <clears> know, I'm looking, my wife and I are looking to rent out our condo, which will happen in a second, but we can't find a bigger place to live. That's our goal was to have more space because we're all stuck at home. The yeah. second things go on the market, they disappear. You have like three hours to look at them. I think some people are making you know rental deals when they haven't seen the property, just taking yeah. a virtual tour. Um, is Zillow sustainable in a mediocre real estate market? Like, I feel like you and I could do just fine in this market. Like, yeah. I, I don't see the margins for this company when it's just kind of a blah market. Yeah. So I guess that's the the interesting part is they have a couple different areas that they're deriving revenue from. And right now, you know, one important thing to note is the iBuying business Zillow offers is still unprofitable. I think they turned in a segment loss of like 79 million, but the company as a whole generated uh, you know, a gap profit, which really surprised a lot of people. And uh, I, I think even in a mediocre market, because they have these multiple segments um, and because the iBuying section of the business 
is purposefully unprofitable at this stage. They really haven't reached nearly the scale they want. Uh, I think they've kind of they're they're ramping toward a sustained profitability regardless of the market. And uh, as people more people turn to technology and can, keeping in mind technology and online real estate platforms still only command a sliver of the overall real estate market as they scale, I think uh, it will prove sustainable. Uh, and one more thing before we move on, uh, we'll also note a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads because Redfin, uh, which usually kind of trades in tandem with Zillow, uh, is down today, I think about 3%. They reported pretty strong earnings that also beat estimates, but the gravity of their beat, I think, wasn't nearly as strong. And uh, and so shares are down a little bit, partially because Redfin has is is up so much more year to date. I think Zillow started the year at forty five bucks a share, and it's you know basically two and a half times that right now. But Redfin has basically quadrupled or quintupled uh, from its its lows, and uh, it's you know so pulling back three percent. Meh, doesn't really matter. Uh, either way, I think uh, there's room for multiple winners, and uh, I think both companies should prove. Uh, their momentum should prove sustainable as technology takes over the real estate industry. Steve, let me push back a little bit about iBuying. So here's how <laughs> iBuying works. I want to sell my house. And let's say I think my house is worth 300 grand. Mm-hmm. Zillow comes in and says, well, if you don't want any hassle, I'll pay you 290 for it. You know, And they're paying them maybe a little better now because they're intentionally not, but they're not going to get it at a big premium in most cases. They're going to get a small premium. And then they come in and they have a team and they maybe do some little things to, to make it nicer. And they list it for, say, I don't know, 308. And they hope there's a bidding war. But that to me seems like a lot of risk for not a lot of profit. And I recognize that's not, they don't disclose what their formula is. But yeah. it really seems to me like you're taking on all these assets to make like two or 3%. It doesn't seem worth yeah. it to me. I, I would say uh, I'd counter that by saying it's it's less risk than you think because they have the luxury of being very selective uh, in the, the the homes that they buy and Zillow in particular is scales you know you look at the I, I think they only um, you know they received I think when they first started this like eighty thousand requests for a quote and they only accepted a couple hundred of those and uh, it's basically like where they know it can be a sure thing as they ramp. And that's also why they they each have separate revenue generating avenues, basically. So Zillow uh, from its you know real estate advertising business and uh, Redfin, when you look at you know, realtor commissions and kind of undercutting the existing cost structures, it goes with super cheap commissions. Uh, so I think either way, they can just use this as a supplementary source for growth and also something that feeds their mortgages businesses and other kind of surrounding transactions uh, for those real estate markets. So I think it just basically serves as sort of a, another tailwind accelerator for their growth, and they can kind of use the network effect of these transactions to build their businesses. I'd argue that the mortgages business is the real business because in the mm-hmm. realtor business, 6% is your top. So you can yeah. go lower than that, but what are you doing? You're putting all this work in for 2%. Now, if you do that and you sell the home inspection and you sell a mortgage and you sell insurance, that's when their business gets interesting. Guys, but we're going to pivot to console wars. But before we do that, right now on our rundown, on the sheet I'm looking at here, I have named this segment near end segment. This segment needs a better name. If you want to have an idea for what we should call the last, uh, the next to last segment of our show, because we close with our finisher, uh, which is a professional wrestling term. Uh, if you have an idea, you can hit us up at 7investing, uh, or you can throw it into the chat right now. But for the poorly named near-end segment, I will go through the room. 
Do you think both Sony and Microsoft will be big winners as we kick off the fifth round of the console wars? Let me give a little color here. Both Sony and Microsoft in the next few days are going to release their their next generation console, but Microsoft is doing something very different. They're offering what I would call hardware as a service, where you can buy the new Microsoft console uh, and pay for it on a monthly plan, sort of along with the Xbox service you are already paying for. I think that gives them a big advantage, but let me let Matt Cochran way in uh sure well like the first thing you should know is that this is like a much bigger deal for sony than it is for microsoft like the xbox line item like revenue for microsoft is probably like its 20th most important thing uh to look for in, in microsoft uh for sony it's a very big deal and yeah i do expect them to uh to, to get a bump on this uh, in their new consoles microsoft's like xbox service like not just for their their hardware dan but also their xbox game pass like the uh, especially they bought Bethesda, Bethesda uh, Studios uh, last month or a couple months ago, which was a big acquisition for him. Gives them some more game titles to put on their their Game Pass. Like I, Satya Nadella, the CEO for Microsoft, really understands the importance of gaming going forward, and it's much more it's much more than just their console, the Xbox uh, for Microsoft. And and yes, I do think that is important. You know, they also have Hololens, which is like their AR platform, which uh, you know it's it's not. It's not big for consumers yet, but you could see that one day. Uh, so for Microsoft, like this isn't really, I don't think this is a needle mover. For Sony, I think it's a big deal. Max, you're a millennial, but I, I'm pretty sure you're not a gamer. Um, what are your thoughts? You haven't lived through as many console wars as we have. I go back <laughs> to the Atari 2600. I traded in my Pong. I literally had Pong on a black and white television for an Atari 2600 and played Pac-Man for like a month. Max, your thoughts here. Well, actually, I am a gamer. Uh, I started with a Nintendo 64. It was like 98. I think I was eight years old. But I was playing Duke Nukem. I don't know what my parents were thinking uh, for an eight-year-old. But anyway. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I currently play PlayStation 4. So I actually found this cool statistic. It's from a uh, SDO consulting firm called Rise at 7. We're 7 investing. They're Rise at 7. It's a beautiful thing. So I didn't want to post it in our Slack because, Dan, you know how Steve and Matt are. They would have stolen it, right? So this is my <laughs> talking point. Uh, but they went around and they found who is searching for information in what countries on either the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X. And then they went and aggregated that. And overwhelmingly, more people are searching for information and making orders of the PlayStation 5 over the Xbox Series X. So I will uh, I think I'll tweet a, out that I think link a, um, after the show so everybody can look at the uh, this cool little infographic they put together. I'll promptly. Yeah, I think there's actually a reason for that. And that's there are launch titles for the PS5 that are going to be available right away. I don't believe the launch lineup for the uh, the Xbox, whatever they're calling it, is going to be as strong. So there's less incentive to do it. They're also both sold out everywhere. So we're not going to learn the answer early flow of this. Uh I can't read your name. Doris or Renee Carl says, loved Pac-Man and Super Mario. SoFi Marketing says, have you seen Max's PC? Total gamer. Laugh out loud. Uh, Steve, what are your thoughts here? Will there be a winner? Can they both win? Well, uh, first, uh, it does renew my faith in Max's millennial status that he actually games a little bit. So that makes me happy. He's like the worst millennial otherwise. But uh, 
I, I think I think they both they both win in their own ways. I think it's a bigger deal for Sony and like Matt said, and I'm happy we heard from Matt first because he's he's sort of the expert in in uh, you know Microsoft matters. But you know it's true that uh, Xbox is a, is not as big a deal to Microsoft. But uh, I'm more excited down the road for cloud gaming services, game streaming services. So um, you know I'm I'm not that excited for for console wars and everything but i i would really like to see how microsoft's sort of hardware as a service pays you go model uh for the next gen console plays out and whether it actually spurs sales because playstation and sony's um sony's consoles generally outsell uh the xbox by a wide margin anyway and obviously a bigger deal for them but i would much more i'd much rather own shares of microsoft uh, as a consolidated business because i'm less impressed with the rest of the pieces of sony's company uh so that's kind of kind of where i stand steve let me ask a follow-up here so many of us pay for our phone as hardware as a service this is the new iphone 12 pro um and you know and and i i finance it i pay every month on my t-mobile bill and at the end of the year i trade it in they actually gave me some money back and i get the new one um, and that's how I do it. Do you think we're going to do this with not just consoles, but maybe things like our laptops and other devices that we're constantly upgrading, where it's going to become like leasing a car, where we just have all these payments, but yeah. we're constantly having the newest thing? Yeah, I think that's kind of where a lot of it goes. And we've already seen some of that with the the little small lenders and pay-as-you-go uh, platforms that are out there. So uh, I, I think that's how some of these bigger purchases go. They make it more seamless because otherwise it would be it'd be hard to fork out, you know, $900, $1,200 for a phone when we needed it. Nobody, you know, it would... It, it basically spurs adoption, makes it easier to swallow. Uh, I think that's the way the way we go going forward. So, yes. An answer. So let's go. Let's go around the. I'll be getting my son the new Xbox. Uh, maybe not exactly at Christmas. I'm not going to chase it if availability is a problem. He's not really clamoring for it, but we'll absolutely buy that one. Uh, I'll start with Matt. Matt, are your kids asking for it? Are they going to be getting the new Xbox or the new PlayStation Five? They will. It probably won't be this Christmas. It'll probably be next Christmas. Like we don't. I don't feel the need to like go out and, and get it right away. But uh, yeah, we're 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 an Xbox family. And uh, my son is on Xbox a lot, and uh, he's 14 years old. And uh, yeah, at some point, we will probably get the new Xbox. Just might not be immediately. Steve, your kids are a a little bit younger in general. Uh, Are are they asking for this even? Do they know what this is? No, my my, uh, 10-year-old boy knows what it is, but he's not asking for it. I think we're in the good enough camp uh, with the current Xbox One, and he's perfectly content, and I have no real drive to to personally spend uh the cash on a new console but uh yeah is, is there a nintendo switch in either of your houses yes there is not yeah. no there there is in my house uh matt matt if you come over bring the kids you will <laughs> then have to buy them a switch uh it's it's dumb fun but it's really fun and the fact that it's portable is really useful max you can have the last word here yeah, so I think my mic cut out when you talked about, do I have kids? No kids, no wife. What I said was I have about 20 houseplants, Dan. So uh, <laughs> my houseplants will not be requesting either console. But uh, So I, I currently play PlayStation 4 with my buddy. If he peer pressures me into getting an upgrade, maybe I'll get the PlayStation 5, but not currently on my radar. 
Yeah, I'm the kind of sucker. I know I'm going to end up with all of them. We have an Xbox One. We're or whatever. If that's the current Xbox, we have the current Xbox. We have the current PlayStation Four. We have the original uh, Nintendo Switch, the higher end model. So I, I won't even pretend I'm not going to end up owning both of these. Joey Klein says my gaming life started at six with Sonic the Hedgehog on the Sega Genesis that I got for Christmas 1991. I had a Sega Genesis in 1991, but I was in college. Guys, now it is time to close the show and hit our finisher. There's actually a funny story about that. So my roommate, my college roommate, uh, went away for like a month. He went to England over our six-week Christmas break. And I thought he had taken our Sega Genesis home. He, he was home for one night before he went away. And I was working on campus with no one else around. Uh, and I was furious with him the whole time. I did not realize we'd been robbed. The robbers stole our Sega Genesis and a $3 bottle of wine that came with a $2 rebate that we were saving for some reason. So clearly (laughs) we were robbed by like a 14 year old, Uh, but it took us a month to figure it out because he was away. And I was, this was, you know, 1991. It wasn't like I could text him. Like, you know, talking to someone who was in England was difficult, but guys, time to hit our finisher. This was a Matt Cochran poll that got a stunning amount of votes, 1,700 votes. That is a really big number. Matt asked, what big tech company would fare the best in a split government scenario, e.g. a Biden White House split Congress, by rewarding shareholders with the best returns over the next two years, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, or Alphabet? Uh, Apple got 16.4% of the vote. Amazon got 38.7% of the vote. Facebook, 26.4%. Alphabet, 18.4%. Matt, do you think that's because uh, Apple, uh, Amazon has been sort of an enemy of the current president? I think it's fair to say he has not been uh, kind towards Amazon. Yeah, I, I I don't think it's any secret. I mean, Bezos owns the Washington Post, which I think is a lot of the a root of a lot of the problems there. Uh, you know, and, and Trump has this uh, this beef with uh, the Washington Post, and I probably took it out on Amazon uh, publicly. Uh, yeah, so I I think like, I mean, look personally, I think there was very small possibility of Amazon being regulated against or like having an antitrust suit uh, winning against Amazon. Uh, but you know, what, however small that possibility was, it goes away now. Uh, you know, but personally, I think Facebook and Google might actually uh, fare the best in this kind of like split government scenario, where it's going to be very hard to find a consensus on how to regulate those companies. But we'll, we'll have to see. Steve, Max, I'll let you weigh in. Realistically, I look at all four of these companies and take any sort of personal bias out. I think you'd do pretty well owning any of them. Steve, is that is that reasonable? I, I think that's a pretty reasonable uh, observation. Uh, I think you're fine in either one of them. And and I definitely see why most people voted for Amazon in this instance. Uh, but I do think that uh, that your Facebooks um, and Googles of the world uh, tend to fare better uh, in this scenario, in a split government when it's harder to regulate them. So I, I probably, uh, I think, yeah, I definitely voted for Facebook in this poll. Uh, I think they had the most to gain. Um, if, if it's harder to, uh, to push regulations on them. So that's, yeah. Uh, but I think either way, you're going to be fine. Um, this is a pretty decent. Max Chatsko, I'll let you have the last word here before we close out the show. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this the other day, you know, like I think maybe investors look at them and, oh, they're so large. These are trillion or $2 trillion companies, but I mean, they're still growing at double digit clips. So, um, now there's reasons for that and that should continue for the foreseeable future. So, yeah. 
Guys, we started with technical difficulties. I don't know what the beginning of the show looks like. I don't know when I was on. I'm not sure what I said if I was talking. I showed as not being on air. I think I might have been on air but not had audio. But we pulled it out. We, we might be able to do some editing, make this look better in the, in the replay. But that finishes up the Friday edition of 7 Investing Now. If you have questions for us, you can reach us at info at 7investing.com. In general, Steve monitors that, and he'll get back to you right away, like two in the morning. Like We actually make Steve get up every 15 minutes like we had a newborn. No, we don't do that, but we get back to you quickly. If you want to follow People us- wonder sometimes. I, I will. I'll, I'll, I'll look. I'll be like, oh, an email, and I'll answer it at 1 a.m., which is my I, wife's like, I, put your phone down. I, 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 I've had that, too. It's two in the morning. The cats wake me up, and, and, uh, you know, and generally- you know, I, I will check my email. I will respond on Twitter. Uh, Danny says, I missed Square Earnings. Darn. Here's the good news. This show repeats on our YouTube channel. It will immediately be available. It will immediately be available on Twitter, on wherever you can watch shows. We're working out even more platforms. So you didn't miss anything. You can go back and hear us talk about Square Earnings. That's it. We're done. It's time for the weekend. Hopefully Monday we won't have to talk about the election. For Matt, Max, and Steve, I am Dan Klein. Everyone have an excellent day. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. And before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult with a financial or tax professional.